It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by a man who played a huge role in the resurrection of the Melbourne Football Club. Peter Jackson served as Demons Chief Executive from 2013 to 2018, overseeing a return to financial stability and finals football for a club that was on its knees. And as we count down to the 2021 Melbourne Western Bulldogs Grand Final, it is a great pleasure to welcome Peter to the show. Peter, thanks so much for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure. How's life? Oh, okay. You know, Dangerous question at the moment, isn't dealing it? Dealing with it like everyone else. Uh, the normal people in the world who have to lock down and work from home, it's not easy and it's dragging on and on and it gets to you at times, but uh, I'm, I'm doing better. I'm better off than most, I suppose. Uh, every time I get annoyed and frustrated, I say, well, there's probably people worse situations than me, so mm. don't complain, get on with it. But uh, I'd like to see the end of it all. Oh, wouldn't we all? 1964. That's a long wait for a premiership, isn't it? Well, every Melbourne supporter I ever met when I was at the club, and even to, you know, I'm still getting texts today of, yeah. uh, sending a lot of love, which is nice, um, they always put an adjective in front of their description. It's called long-suffering. And uh, I can remember being at the Essendon Footy Club beforehand, and I used to talk about the fragility of football clubs and, and you know, back in sort of the early 2000s. So don't take anything for granted. Who, who in... Melbourne Football Club in 1964 would say that was their last premiership for whatever number of years. And it is. it is. It's just football clubs uh, can be fra- very fragile organisations and it's the supporters I feel for and it's the supporters I hope for at the grand final. I really hope they get a reward because uh, they deserve it. Well, you'd have a greater grasp of this as anyone because you've worked, obviously, in Melbourne's inner sanctum. You've dealt with the fans. You've dealt yeah. with the staff. You've dealt with the players, the past players, the Coda groups, all of that. So... And a lot of that in the club's darkest hours. So you would have a, as good a grasp as anyone of the precipice that the club sits on at the moment and the enormity of it. Yeah, look, I think they have. I think the club's done really well to position itself for some sustainable growth. That's what we uh, success, I should say. That's what we've we always said we were going to aim to do, even at the deepest, darkest hours in the 2013. I mean, the first part of it was to restructure and find the team that we wanted to have in terms of executives and coaches and whatever else. But once we've 
did that, we we didn't, you know, if you look at the Ruse succession plan and things like that, it was never about trying to win some games early doors. It was always about building long-term sustainability because otherwise, what's the point? Mm. You've been you've been so down and out for so long, and even when they've had success, some measure of success playing finals was always followed by a year or two of no success. It was never, it wasn't sustainable like the Geelongs and the Hawthorns and the Richmonds has been. It was very up and down if you got any. So we always look for sustainable success, and that's what we tried to build, which meant it was going to be a slower journey, and. Uh, I think they're pretty well positioned for that. I hope they are, and I hope the I hope the supporters can enjoy it. There's the old names that always come up at times, like this Steins, Barassi, Danaher, Flower. You know, Gary Lyon will present the cup, for example, if Melbourne win at the weekend. And this week he spoke of a reconnection of a club. The old players on the WhatsApp groups, and you mentioned your phone now, I'm sure has been buzzing for the last couple of a couple mm. of days and weeks with, with people getting in touch. Yeah, they're, they're very up and about. They're very emotional about it all. They're, they're hoping they're going to win. They probably don't quite believe they're going to win, uh, but they're certainly hoping it. You know, there's always an element of doubt in any supporter's mind, but particularly Melbourne supporter's mind. So... Uh, yeah, they're they're up and about, and they're really they're really wanting it. You can you can feel it, and I, I sort of hope they get there. So your path to Melbourne, you were pulling the strings at Essendon for a long time, ninety six to oh nine. There was success there. There were big names there, big personalities, a very big club. Then you got out of football, didn't you? You were semi retired. I think you were executive chairman of AFL Vic for a time, executive chairman of AFL Sports Ready as well. Yeah. No angry fans there, no media hassling. Your life would have been pretty stress free at that point, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, I mean, there's a certain thing you miss when, once you've been in a footy club. There's a certain thing you miss. Um, some things you don't miss, but uh, that sense of belonging and the cut and thrust and, and the real team spirit of all trying to achieve the, the common goal, that, that's something you don't find in many work environments, in, in, as deep as is in a, a football club, at least anyway. Uh, but yeah, I was I was enjoying myself. There was no stress and um, got a phone call one morning from Andrew Demetrio. In fact, he texted me um, just after the preliminary final to say, well done. And I, I said, in reply that uh, when you called me back in April 2013, Andrew, <laughs> I had my doubts. I wasn't sure. I asked for 24 hours, but I am so pleased afterwards that I, or now that I decided to get involved because it would have been easy not to. Uh, I didn't need to, uh, but I'm glad I did. How did he frame it back in 2013, the then CEO of the AFL? Did he ask for your help? He framed it in a way that the AFL were, were, were frustrated uh, where where Melbourne were at and without any um, signs that things were going to turn around despite the club believing they would. It had been going on for too long. Yeah. And I think in those uh, times, I mean, I, I described – Andrew didn't describe it this way. This is, these are my words that uh, I'd, I'd describe as the AFL were the lender of last resort. You know, they, they, they were providing the financial support. AFL doesn't tend to get involved in clubs and, and try to pull the strings too hard um, in terms of – executive type decisions and coach decisions. But um, when they'd been at it for so long and there was sort of money being put into the club all the time, as long as many other clubs as well, but I think they finally thought, well, something's got to change here. And so Andrew, I think he must have had a conversation with the board and said, well, look, I think, you know, if I asked Peter Jackson, would, um, would you guys accept it? And my response was, well, I'll think about it, Andrew, if they're sure they want to make some changes. And so we sort of came together that way. So I, you said you needed 24 hours to make a decision. How many hours did you need to say yes? 
Oh, I'd probably made up my mind 20 minutes after I got off the phone, to be honest. I, yep. I'd probably, you know, it's either one of those things you're either going to do or you're not going to do. And um, I guess 24 hours is making it sound a little bit more impressive than it really was. But um, making yourself sound a little bit more important than you really are, I don't know. But it's, uh, no, I, I knew, I, I thought I wanted to do it. And look, the, the things that made me want to do it, um, you know, Melbourne is the oldest club. It, it, it sort of wrote the rules. They're proud of that fact. It calls itself Melbourne. We're in the city of Melbourne, and AFL is, uh, has all its history in Melbourne. And you know, it needed a strong Melbourne. It was embarrassing where the Melbourne Football Club were. So, if I could help, I was, I was thought that'd be a good idea to do. Sucker for punishment, or you relish the challenge? No, no, no. It didn't the challenge didn't didn't scare me at all? I'm not. I've, those sort of things don't bother me. I, I, I just thought it wouldn't be hard. Just it. It wouldn't be hard in a, in the sense you've got to get the right people. The football the football club success depends on who you get, um, and yeah, you know, I've always said and I've told uh, people inside the Melbourne club very early on. There's three there's three uh, strategic priorities in in a football club. Number one's list management. Um, number two's list management. When you've got those two right, the third one's list management. And uh, in Melbourne's list management was probably they joked about it. Yeah. Um, I think the Herald Sun printed teams of uh, draft failures. Uh, it was a comical reactions about trades and recruiting from a long time ago. Um, it wasn't just the list management, that's what I say, but after that, that's the development of the players and then the third thing after that is the environment you create, which is the culture. None of those things are you know, intellectually difficult to achieve if you get the right people in place that know how to do it. And that was basically what was missing, I thought, in Melbourne when I got there, was that there weren't the people in place that understood those three fundamentals. I mean, some of the list management decisions and trade decisions you, you would... And I'm not a football person, but you could just look on and say, that's they're not right. Um, the sort of salary cap profile for the list they had at that time was just not right. The spending on the football department relative to... a a club at um, like Hawthorne, who was regularly playing in grand finals, just didn't make any sense when you compa- compare the two levels of expenditure. Um, so there was a basis there for commercial success, ironically, because they had they were being, they could spend the money on football, they could spend the money on players, they had it. I just didn't think they were doing it the right way. So we needed to get the right people in. So this is slightly off topic before we get to the break, but it's been a few years out of the, the game for you, like it was before you took the job between Essendon and Melbourne. Would you do it again? Would you be a club CEO again? It's a bit like a player, you know, what the mind wants to do versus what the body can do is probably two different things. Um, you know, it's, it's a young man's sport, young man's job, I think, younger. I keep telling people I'm not as young as I look. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think, yeah. There's a vacancy or two out there. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, I don't know. It's it's a sort of thing, you know, you think it's you might want to help and provide some advice. I don't think it's the sort of job I yeah. want to do full time, though. No one's reached out? No, 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 no. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Up next, Peter Jackson takes the steering wheel at the Demons. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with renowned sports administrator Peter Jackson as we chart the rise of the Melbourne Footy Club. So, Peter, you were initially hired, correct me if I'm wrong, for six months as an interim CEO, but you ended up serving close to six years in the job. Was, was it Andrew Dimitri's idea to initially call you the interim CEO? No, well, it was his idea to call me that to get over my problem, which was that uh, when I called Andrew back after that phone call. I said, look, just don't ask me to sign up for three to four years to do this. I've got to know this club's up for change. I've got to know that this club understands it's got some issues it needs to address. And I've got to know that they want me to drive that. I'm a great believer in board being a board and performing the role of a board as a board of governance and leaving the executive to run the football club. Mm. And I needed to know that was going to happen. doesn't happen in all clubs, but I needed to know that was going to happen. So I said, I will, I'm happy to get in there and feel it about a bit and see what the situation is and then we'll make a call. So I said, okay, we'll call you interim CEO. So that's what happened. And I could have walked away after six months, but of course I knew pretty early on that wasn't going to happen. If I was going to talk to a coach like a Paul Ruse or a, you know, a commercial manager like George DeCrepney and bring them out of yeah. other roles and other careers and come in here. I can't say to them, hey, this is a great opportunity for you. It'll be fantastic. I won't be here, but, you know, so they would say, no way, Jose, because then they wouldn't have known where Melbourne was going to be. So I knew pretty early on that it was going to be longer than that. Uh, but I just needed to know that the, the board in particular was ready to, you know, support some change. So you walk in there April 2013. Uh, was it April 1st, actually? Was it really April 1st? Yeah, it was. April 1st, you arrive. So you arrive at a club that's finished 16th, 13th, 12th, Wooden Spoon, Wooden Spoon, and 14th in the six years leading up to your arrival in 2013. The Demons are also somewhat, correct me if I'm wrong, $8 million in debt. What did you find when you got in there and had a peek behind the curtain? Oh, it was as everyone expected it would have been. Um, I mean, the people were very resilient, but footy clubs are like that. I mean, people that work there, they, yeah. they love the sport and they're having a good time and there's a week-to-week game and they live in hope. And I was a bit staggered how resilient people were. They weren't downtrodden, that's for sure. Um, were they unhappy? Players, staff? Oh, players, really unhappy, yeah. Play, players were the ones who were most emotional about the whole thing because, you know, they, they didn't have any control over anything. They mm. were players, they, they, their name got called out on draft night and that's where they ended up. And, you know, some of them would say to me, you know, my, my career's going down the toilet. Um, I played with so-and-so and so-and-so in the under-18s and he went over there and over there and they played finals and I'm here and my career's stuffed. And, and by that time, literally, they would have tears rolling down their cheeks because it was, you know, this was their life, this was their dream and they were being greeted by the media on Monday morning and uh, you know, after a game, after a big loss, they, they were telling me their communication lines were through the media. Um, so it was, you know, they, they were, the, they were the, the group that hit me the most in terms of the impact. They, they were in a, in yeah. a bad way. And, and you know, with, with that sort of feeling coming across, how can, you can't expect a group of guys like, like that to go out and play to their best ability on a weekly basis. So, yeah, that, that, the rest of the club seemed to be outwardly resilient and positive. I don't think they were. Mm. I don't think they were believers in terms of the, the place. I, I think they thought sort of had an attitude, this is Melbourne, this is what we are, and this is where we expect to be, which was rather sad. Yeah, because um, culturally it had been a year since, only or less than a year since the AFL launched that full investigation into the, the allegations yeah. of tanking. And I think you had James McDonald, who the way he was treated and moved on from the club, yeah, that well, might that have was, festered was, a bit. That was one of the real sore points. That was one of the real sore points. And I... I felt that I needed to do something about James and I happened to be in Sydney on, on some other stuff and I called him and we had a beer at a pub and uh, 
you know, he was very emotional. It was, the scar within him was uh, lasting and, uh, you know, that needed to be fixed. And um, so we brought him back into the club uh, that 2014 or 13 best and fairest, I can't remember which one it was now, and sort of called it the James McDonald best club man because that's what he was. But yeah. that needed to be, you know... That, Resolved that issue. It was really hanging heavy in the in the locker room. Um, and when you when things like that happen, um, see that, that that's what I talk about. What's what I mean when I talk about culture in in a football club? Um, there's reactions within a club to sort of decisions that people think they're making in best faith, and you got to think those things through. And, yeah. you, and there's ways to do things, and you don't do it like that because it has long lasting impact on on the playing group. And they're the ones out there trying to win the game of footy. So um, there were things like that in 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 the place, which I I was surprised at how deep yeah. those feelings were. Which take time to fix. Um, not long after you took on the role financially, did is it right you asked the AFL for some extra money, perhaps um, outside the normal entitlements and distribution streams? I was very straightforward with Andrew. I said, look, there's um, there's some good administration contracts here. They're not part of the future for me. I need to restructure the uh, the management team. I need to scale it down and get some different people into roles. But there's some contracts in place and I've, the number we need is X. I think it's a public number. It was something north of a million dollars. I said, it's one off. I won't ask you for any more money other than what we're normally entitled to. But I, it's either... You make the choice, Andrew. I can't promise you this will be a quick turnaround if if we can't make these changes. You either give us this money now and I clear the decks and get the team in I need or uh, we sort of sit here and work it through for one, two or three years. And uh, he took about five minutes to make that decision. Uh, which was good. Wow. And, and the commission would have had to have approved it on that. Oh, well, yeah, he, he made it unofficially, sorry, um, <laughs> subject to commission approval. Um, but, you know, Andrew sort of ran the show, didn't he? Yeah. So um, we did that and uh, that was to fast track. It was really, really important in my mind to get the club restructured by the end of the 2013 season, really important, which was – have in place the team I wanted to take forward, and that was included a senior coach. So we had to make all those changes in time for that to happen and then start with a clean slate sort of pre-season 2014. So you mentioned the senior coach. In 2013, at least the first part thereof, it's Mark Neal. Now he's in his second season. His 2012 campaign ended at 4-18. and 18. What were those early meetings and conversations with Mark like and, and, and how long, I guess, Peter, did you give yourself to form an opinion on the coach? Because it'd be easy to have preconceived ideas coming in. How long did you give yourself when you were in there to, to form an opinion on him? I, I didn't give myself a specific time. I didn't have any predetermined views, as you say. I just, um, I mean, the, the first game I think I was at, I think it was against Carlton, the MCG, and um, I sat in the back of the coach's box. I just wanted to see how they all interact, which I did. And uh, that formed some views. I'm not going to go into the details of it. That's not fair, but uh, that formed some views. Overwhelming negative views or a bit of everything? Oh, look, everyone that works in footy, most people that work in footy are good people and they work their asses off um, and, and they try their very best. And, and I, you, you've got to remember those things. And it's, there's an awful lot of stress and strain. And when you've got external stresses and strains going on as well, like you know the whole football world, judging whether you're the right person for the job if you can you can ignore all that and isolate yourself well I don't believe you can yeah so you know it it, it impacts on everything so yeah I it was a question not about um making an overall negative judgment it was a question about if if we go forward beyond 2013 is this the 
coaching team that's going to take us through. And I thought not because I just thought overall there just wasn't enough experience and um, knowledge to, to take us to where we wanted to go at that point in time. See, the thing about Paul Ruse, and I know you'll probably ask me about him a bit later, but just quickly, the great thing Paul did for us, and he'll say this himself, is he bought us time. Like, if, see, if we had moved on Mark Neal, if I'd have brought in Simon Goodwin. Yeah, first up, yeah. Like, under Ruse, people thought, oh, here's the Messiah. You know, he's going to take us to the promised land. And we won four games in 2014. Everyone said, jeepers, if we're going to win four games with Ruse, we must be stuffed. Yeah. And so we bought time. And yeah. if Simon Goodwood have, had have come in and won four games, he would have been sacked and I would have been sacked because people would have said, oh, you're a dickhead, just yeah. like everybody else. It's um, it's clearly the coaches and now it's the CEO's fault. So Ruse was such a name. We knew how deep the problem was. So that was why it was important to get someone of that stature into the club to be able to um, – buy us that time and buy us that credibility and, and start to attract other people into the club who may not have otherwise come. You're right. We are going to talk about Paul Roos. We need to take a break. This is your sporting life on this uh, grand final weekend or thereabouts. Brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. We're just a week out from the 2021 decider. Next, though, let's go back in time. It's decision time on Mark Neald and Operation Get Paul Roos begins. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's special edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're revisiting the resurgence of the Melbourne Football Club with former CEO Peter Jackson. So, Peter, we left on Mark Neald. His last game in charge turned out to be the Queen's Birthday Clash of 2013. It's round 11. It's an 83-point loss. The side at this point is 1-10. and 10. What reinforced the decision that Mark wasn't going to be the man to continue coaching? Oh, I think it's what I said previously. I mean... I had to make a judgment and present that idea to the board about, you know, is is Mark and his and his panel the, the group that are going to take this this playing group forward? And I just made mm. formed a view that he wasn't. Um, you know, they, they were all trying their best and working really hard. And uh, as I said, they were under enormous pressure. I, I'd hate to think what they, you know, the sort of stress they were feeling personally and as a group. But uh, you know, that's that's the business we're in. Unfortunately, board was unanimous. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because I guess there's sponsors, there's members, there's a need to retain that support, isn't there, in the background, which you're aware of. And you can't afford to lose those people. And um... no, Well, see, the other thing I haven't mentioned, you said, what did you find when you first got there? I mean, you look behind the numbers, what I did find was that, you know, we were, we were on a financial precipice at that time when I first started, yet, and we didn't have a high membership base, but we had lost 6,000 members in each of the previous two years. So that's 12,000 in total who didn't renew. Now, that's a that I, I describe that as a breach of trust. You know, you, people want to believe in their footy club for as long as they can. Mm. There comes a point in time where they say, no, I don't trust what you're telling me anymore because you tell me this stuff and nothing changes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to front up again. Now, when you lose 12,000 members in two years and you've got a total of about 32,000, that's a, that's a lot. And actually, I saw that as an option. Optimistically, I thought, well, those people we involved that long, not long ago. If we can start playing you know, competitively and winning their respect back, they'll they'll come back in through the turnstiles one way or the other. So, um, so I, I looked at it as an opportunity, not a loss. But you knew that was the scenario, and you, you're running the risk if you don't do something. There's another lot. I, I remember in the first game, I went around and being escorted by 
one of the directors and I, I walked into this group that were affectionately, well, affectionately known as the Red Legs. They're, they're a membership group and uh, we walked in at half time and the, the scoreboard was ugly and gee whiz, that room was was ugly. That mm. room was really ugly and, and they had just had enough. They just wanted their footy club to start, you know, being respected or they wanted to respect their footy club. So you can't go on for too long in that scenario without being seen to do something. Uh, you got to you got to win back the trust and respect. I mean, not that they would all flock back to you and say, yeah, beauty, you know, you and Ruzi are the messiahs, but what they did is, okay, now we'll watch and see what happens and we might, we'll come back slowly. And is this what you come back to? Because it's one thing to make the decision, but I imagine another one altogether to deliver it, which must be difficult. And I think you personally might have only done it twice in your CEO career. I mean, how hard is it with, with Mark Neal? Was it? How did you tell him and did he know it was coming? I think he probably knew it was coming. He didn't. He didn't, uh, he didn't tell me he did, but I imagine he did. Um, especially when I, I suppose I called him and he was over it because the football and the administration areas were separate buildings, yeah. and it was a sort of ten-minute walk to get from one to the other. And if you call him on a Monday morning and say you want to see him, I guess he's working it out. I, I don't know. Um, so I mean, I, I, I look. I, I've been in businesses where I've had to restructure them prior to my, my time in footy and, and I don't – if the b- decision has to be done for the benefit of the organisation, it has to be done. I don't struggle with it that per se about that. But there are impacts obviously on people and their, their own personal esteem and families and things like that that you just – it is what it is. I mean that's the sort of industry we, we live in and um, work in and it's, uh, it's a tough industry like that and uh, we, we've never got it right. Uh, we've you know we've had a similar situation of late with David Teague, and it just we just keep doing it as an industry, but sometimes you just have to do it and and move on. So it's 2013. Have you ever met Paul Roos at this point? No, I hadn't. No, never met Paul before. Um, we had some mutual acquaintances, so I, I sort of knew what he stood for as a, as a coach and. Uh, um, my main reason for chasing him not was because he was Paul Roos and, and, and available, but because his uh, belief that he uh, in, of the way he, a team should be coached, a club should be built, and what he did at Sydney. Because I knew people that knew what had happened there. It was all about behaviours, standards, culture, and development of players. So was he always at the top of your whiteboard in terms of who, oh, who yeah. you were? Ta- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. what, how does it work here? Do you just pick up the phone one day and ring him cold? Well, I happened to be in Sydney on another matter again and so was, and uh, I, I rang him and said, uh, I'm in Sydney, can I come and talk to you? And of course he knows what I'm going to talk to him about. And uh, he said, yeah, well, why don't you come round to the house because um, best we're not seen in, in cafes. And I thought, well, no one in Sydney's going to know who the hell I am and they might know who you are, but I could be anybody, but that's nice of you to say so. Um, so I, I went to his house at... Coogee and uh, I was pretty impressed when I got out of the taxi because it was a few levels up from the beach and uh, I was standing at the front door and uh, waiting to come in and so Paul opens the door, well, come on in, come on in so I walked into that house lovely modern house and I could see over in the distance someone who I knew would be Tammy and she had a look on her face, which was, what are you doing in my house? Um, <laughs> my husband's been out of it for a few so <laughs> don't drag him back um, and uh, you know, I'm pleased to say Tammy and I had a good relationship after that, but uh, I could tell that she wasn't sure about this whole conversation and how it was going to go. So um, 
Anyway, Paul says to me, would you like a cup of tea or a water? Water will do. And as, as he went off to get me a water, I was, I was standing in his lounge room and I was looking out his big view windows there and I could see a blue Sydney sky, not a cloud in it. I could see the Coogee water and beach and I thought to myself, Peter, you've got no effing hope of getting him to leave this. So I was defeated before I even started. And, and he said no, didn't he? Sorry? Did he say no straight away? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He said no. Um, and uh, after that, we, uh, I said, well, can you give me some advice on what we could do? And um, he threw at me the idea of succession plans and getting a uh, – because, you know, you can't get a young coach in because uh, he'll just have problems and you, maybe you want to go and get someone as a, a senior coach. I said, yeah, but – and we listed a few names. He said, well, they're not going to buy that. <laughs> There's no way known they're going to buy that as a plan. So I walked away and we started a – we started a process of uh, interviewing for a you know, full-time, long-term senior coach. I just decided to keep dialogue with him. I just, uh, I just kept at him, thinking that he might eventually come around. Well, I thought if I thought I can't just ignore him, I've got to keep talking to him. So I just started to dialogue up about advice, players. Um, I mean, that was when he told me during that process the, the story I've repeated a hundred times to, to various groups about uh, the three Jacks, um, Jack Trengove, Jack Grimes and Kieran Jack. Uh, and this is Rusey's story, not mine, about how we at Melbourne made a decision to make them co-captains when they hadn't even – and he's told this story publicly yeah. – and, and when they weren't even didn't have even their football sorted out at that point in time, let alone captaincy and leadership. Whereas Kieran Jack came out of a rugby league background and they put him in the academy and they developed him and they developed him and they developed him. And he became premiership player. And Rusey was obviously very proud of that. Rusey's view on life was, well, you know, development's as important as, as drafting. And, uh, you know, that's where Melbourne's... And so we started that dialogue going, talking about footy. Um, he, was, he was a guest journalist for the Herald Sun. He wrote, he said, I'm going to do a list. Yeah. I'm going to do an article next. I'll just sort of let you know on the Melbourne list. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Well, he's, inv- <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's invested. And I can remember, I can remember uh, walking back across the footbridge after interviewing a coach. I was walking with Josh Marnie, who was a footy manager, and, and uh, I said, oh, "I don't know what we're going to do. What, what the hell are we going to do?" And uh, can't can't get Rusey to get interested. He said, "Well, he hasn't said no yet, Peter." And literally at that moment, the phone rang, and it was Paul. And I didn't meet him far from your uh, studio. He had his manager was down around there and near Coventry Street. And um, he said, I'm in Melbourne. you want to catch up? And sort of then it accelerated. he'd made a decision in his mind. But it, straight away it was, you know, the first thing you want to do is give him a long-term secure contract. He didn't want a long-term secure contract. He, he was committed to this succession plan. That's what he thought was the best thing for Melbourne. He didn't want to be there for a long time. He wanted to be there for a good time and then pass it on, set the foundation. And that, that... So this day in question, hang on, back up for a second. You mm. say, Josh, sorry, I've got to go see a man about a dog or something. And you come down here and you meet him and he tells you face to face, what, I, I now I've changed my mind. I want to coach Melbourne. I'm interested. Did you do cartwheels on the inside or on the outside? Oh, no, you know, look at me. I don't no. get outwardly you, excited. You do don't I? give a lot away. <laughs> Good poker face. But that's a seismic moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'd just like to say I'm extremely, extremely excited about uh, being introduced as a Melbourne uh, coach. I'm really looking forward to the next couple of years and really looking forward to setting a direction for the players and setting a direction for the football club and setting some really high standards. 
and I can't wait. I can't wait to get started. But I think you know, if, if we're sitting here in five years' time in the grandstand watching someone else achieve ultimate success, that's fantastic. Um, what we want to do is try and build the culture and leadership and standards and expectations of, of this whole football club and there's no better man to do it from the football side than him. And succession plan, it's funny because now it's a real dicey word in footy, succession plan. You take your life in your own hands if you embark on one of those. Well, I don't understand why. I mean, two of them have worked, both involving Paul Ruse or Grant, but um, a couple haven't worked. But when they haven't worked, they haven't had a senior coach that was committed to the idea. It was someone else's, a third party's idea. If the senior co- oh, I think Essendon's worked okay. I'm not sure it worked as well as Melbourne's, but it was, you know, mm. Rutten survived and doing okay. Yep. Um, well, he's doing better than okay. He's doing a great job by looks of things. So, um, yeah, look, I, I just, it's so natural in, in, uh, in normal business. I don't understand why it can't be uh, something. It's just that, uh, but it can only work if the senior coach is committed to it, if he's mature enough to know that yeah. he's ready to move. A bit was made of, you know, to attract him, you have to pay him. And there's been plenty said on what he was paid, but you wouldn't sit here now and regret it for one millisecond, would you? No, I can tell you lots of reasons why I don't regret it. One thing, he paid it back three times over. Yeah. Because he attracted hope. Those 12,000 members, some of them signed back, but some others came through the turnstiles and paid their cash on a weekly basis. Sponsors. Sponsors rang us and said, we want to get involved. We've got a big, we had a big senior, uh, major sponsor from, he was our major sponsor for AHG for uh, three or four years. He, he just rang me because Paul Ruse had been signed up. That was all. No other reason. Saw an opportunity, knew he was going to get it at a decent price. At that stage still, but Ruzi was there. Um, he brought in other other uh, corporate-type supporters. He, you know, we got a good assistant coaching panel who came. But I've got to tell you, the euphoria when he when we announced him and when when uh, we brought him into the footy club for the day to walk around and meet the staff, the staff were like little kids. They seriously were, because how could anyone of this stature and this brand name come and work at our footy club? I mean, they, they were. I was watching them. They were just. Oh, look, he's only a, just a human being. Come on, he's just a footy coach. <laughs> Calm down. But it was. It's like this damn celebrity. But he would in. have had that effect on the players as well. Yeah, they were. They were in awe. They were in awe of of him. And uh, but it was really, really important for the club because it it uh, said, hey, we can we can bring someone in, and the, and it sort of flowed from there. So I, I think it was a great investment personally. Absolutely it was. That was everything. We're talking to Peter Jackson here on This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lies. Well, Paul Ruse is on board. Let's talk bringing Simon Goodwin across to Melbourne up next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Toman Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Peter Jackson is our guest today as we count down to the 2021 AFL Grand Final. So, Peter, while Paul Roos was coaching in that first year at Melbourne in 2014, looking forward, the succession plan, how earnest was the search for the heir apparent to replace him? Oh, well, we, we definitely started it. It was uh, – Ruzi's – we were quite serious about it very early. Uh, Ruzi's contract was for two years uh, with an option for a third. So we started looking in that second year. Uh, he had 
no intentions of going past third year. And How'd I you think, twist his arm on that one uh, for the third well, year? Well, because I, I guess the first step didn't work as quite as well. Um, I mean, we, we did a process in 2015 and um, we got down to a short list and then uh, we talked at length to Stuart Dew and Stuart found he wasn't ready to move from Sydney, so the process um, stopped at that, that point. Um we didn't think we had found another suitable... We had to get this right. We had to absolutely get this right and we weren't going to do it just for the sake of doing it. So um, we didn't have someone else. So, Rusey, you're up for a third year. So he said, yeah. So he stayed on for a third year and we ran the process again. And uh, it was during that process we found Simon Goodwin. Was Stuart Jew the one you wanted initially? What, and what happened there? We were prepared to talk more with him. I, um, we didn't, never actually got to the point of you know, detailed offers or anything, but we, we thought he could do the role. Uh, we thought he could grow into the role and uh, he let us know that for family reasons he wouldn't be able to leave Sydney at that point in time. So that didn't go anywhere. Had you had anything to do with Simon Goodwin at this juncture? Me? Yeah. No, I had never met Simon and as far as I know, Paul Ruse had never, they might have passed each other in a corridor one day, but I don't think they'd actually met each other. I knew a bit about Simon from um, Bernie Vince. And I didn't hear the first story from Bernie Vince. I heard it from someone else. When you talk about things you pick up and remember in footy where um, when Bernie was coming through as a young player at Adelaide and, and, and Simon was still, you know, one of the player leaders and a key midfielder, uh, Bernie, he, he thought Bernie was a guy of, of unlimited talent but didn't quite have, you know, the self-discipline for the game. So he took him under his wing and he also sacked himself from the midfield to the halfback flank so Bernie would get game time in the midfield. And uh, I, I asked Bernie about that when Bernie came over to Melbourne. He said, how do you know about that? So, I mean, they're, they're the sort of things you hear around the traps about mm. people and their leadership capability. And I thought, yeah, that's... So when he walked in the into the room to be interviewed, that, that was in the back of my mind as a person that's prepared to do that in the latter stages of his career, it says something for his leadership capability uh, of the team, I think. Can you take us into that first meeting? Who was in the room? What questions did you ask? What uh, answers did you want to hear? Yeah, that, that was pretty straightforward. Uh, when, you get, when you get a lot of coach presentations, a lot of them talk about the, the game plans and the science of the game, and, and that's really not what's required. You need those people in your coaching panel, don't get me wrong, but they're not. I don't think they're the, that's the key issues of a senior coach. I think senior coach is someone who's going to build relationships with the players, so the players want to play for him. He's uh, going to build the right environment uh, with the support team, so the culture of the football department is really strong uh, and is going to demand the right sort of standards and behaviours, which is ex- what Paul Ruse was all about at Sydney, and he swears, and he talks about it now, uh, he swears that's what made Sydney what it was, and he handed that on through John Longmire, who just perpetuated that. So we were looking for someone who had that sort of language, that sort of approach. Mm. So in the room was Rusey, myself, Josh Marnie, and Todd Viney. We all thought the same thing about what we were looking for, and Simon came in um, with no predetermined questions put to him. What do you think about coaching, sort of? And he gave his his spiel. Um, he talked first about his uh, life as a young man and then some of the mistakes he made along the way, which are reasonably well documented in the broad sense and, and uh, people know about them. And then he started talking about his philosophy as coaching. And I could have been listening to Paul Roos talk and I could have been listening to myself talk. And uh, when we compared that to what we'd heard from other applicants – 
we said, we just all looked at each other and said, he's the guy. And so he was the guy. So he leaves the room. What's the first thing that gets said after he leaves the, he leaves the room? I don't know if it was me or Rusey. One of us said, I think he's our man. Yeah, yeah. And it goes pretty quickly from there. So 18th of September, 2014, he signs a five-year contract with the Melbourne Football Club. The first two years as an assistant to Paul Ruse, of course. And then he takes over as head coach for the three years. There is a funny interlude, though, in between. I don't think this story's been told. But uh, we sent him a contract to be signed. And uh, that was the same time that Adelaide sacked their coach. Yes, was. But the second one, no, it was Phil, Phil, after the Phil Walsh. So Rochetto came in and Rochetto and Goodwin, very good mates. Yep. And it was just a natural progression, according to Mark Rusciuto, that Simon Goodwin should coach Adelaide. So we'd sent the contract over and we thought we had, we were pretty sure, and then we couldn't raise him. And this was the night that all the fuss was about who was going to be the Adelaide coach. We couldn't find him anywhere. And Josh and I are backwards and forwards on the phone. Don't tell me this. I don't need to hear this. Cats know. on a hot tin roof? Yeah, very much so. It turned out that he was at his daughter's uh, speech night and he couldn't turn his phone on, so he didn't know anything about it. He rang us back the next morning and he said, uh, I told you I was going to take the job. If I say I'm going to take the job, I'm taking the job. I want, to, I want to be with the Melbourne Football Club. I don't want to be with Adelaide. So he, that was we found that really interesting that he could have walked into a senior coaching role at Adelaide. He said, no, I've made up my mind. I want to be at Melbourne in the succession plan with you guys. That's where I'm coming. Just so further stop validate, worrying about it. Yeah, just further validates the oh, decision, yeah, doesn't absolutely. it? absolutely. Val- validated the character. So, yeah, I, my, my view is everyone's, especially young men, are entitled to make some mistakes on the way through. I, uh, when I say that, I mean, you know, the risk-taking young men that play AFL footy, they make some mistakes and they grow up. And uh, I thought, you know, the inherent character was there for sure. So have you seen it from afar? We're here on a Sunday morning and it's uh, six days before the 2021 grand final over there in, in Perth. Um, there, there was a natural progression after Paul Roos left and Simon Goodman got them to the 2018 preliminary final. And then he's had his hiccup since then. And now they've resurrected themselves this year. Are you as a? Can I just ask? Are you a fan in this moment? Are you? Oh, yeah. Are you emotionally invested? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, how can I not be? I mean, football. I understand supporters and their love of the jumper. Uh, I have two sons who grew up with Essendon while I was there, and they can't understand why. You know, I'm not a passionate Essendon supporter again. Uh, I say to them, well, you know, I grew up with these guys at Melbourne. I mean, I was there. I, I helped put this team, this club together, this team together. I didn't do it, but I helped. And so I know them on a personal level. You've got to, you've got to, that's the thing about football. It it, uh, it brings you, that sense of belonging is incredibly strong. Uh, it's not the same attitude. as. That's why you can move between clubs and become just as powerfully connected to that particular club that you can uh, at the time, because you're working with the people. So how are the nerves? And how are you going to be on Saturday? Twilight, oh, I'll be night. okay. I'll be okay till we get there. I mean, the preliminary final. I'm okay until they bounce the ball, and then you know, like any other supporter, so it'll be the same. I, I, look, I if if they don't get there this time, it's no, you know, I'll, I'll sort of shrug my shoulders and move on and be a bit disappointed. But I, you know, I, I'm just feeling for the supporters. As I said at the beginning, those long-suffering Melbourne supporters. They've they've had a taste of it a couple of times and got nowhere near close on either. They, you know, the game was gone. Uh, 2018 preliminary final, they were living on hope. The game was gone at halfway through the second quarter. I mean, I just hope for their sake they get a chance to um, experience it, uh, particularly all these 30, 40-year-olds whose fathers made them barrack for Melbourne on the basis <laughs> that I did, and now, Dad, why'd you make me do that? And, it's been a uh, life sentence up until now, <laughs> hasn't it? 
I just hope they all get the chance to. I think they'll be thrilled if. Uh, Beautifully said. It's been a pleasure to have you in today, Peter. Um, Peter Jackson joining us here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Under your control, the club, well, where do we begin? Where do we end? Slashed its debt, sold its gaming assets, had a successful handover of the coach, and been a leader in women's footy as well. All great legacies for you to leave at that club. Well done on all you achieved. Enjoy the week, and our fingers are crossed for you for grand final night. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you the next time we chart another sporting life. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.